One of the most commonly viewed TED Talks features the psychiatrist Bob Waldinger out of Harvard. He's the director of something called the Harvard Study on Adult Development. This has been the longest-running cohort in the United States, dating back to 1938. A cohort means that it functions like a census, following the same group of people year after year. The premise of the cohort was to analyze what predictive factors lead to a long and happy life. What a lot of people don't know is that in the mid-1970s, the manager of the cohort was a psychiatrist named George Valent. Valent was especially interested in alcoholism. He used some of the cohort data to write a book called The Natural History of Alcoholism in 1983. This was one of the first pieces of literature that looked at predictive factors for long-term alcoholism recovery. These factors are very sensible, and we use them today in helping to guide patients' treatment. My name is Pat Failing. I'm an addiction psychiatrist. I treat patients with drug addiction and alcoholism, finding tactical solutions for lethal problems. You're listening to Recovery Arc. There was a lot of bulk data present in the Harvard cohort analysis. So when I'm working with patients, I need to take some of it that I feel might be useful in somebody's everyday life. I was able to break it down into three main topic areas. The first topic involved the concept of depression, anxiety, and other risk factors causing alcoholism. When Valent looked at the Harvard data, he found that it did not support those themes. A lot of people in our country feel that alcoholism is caused by depression. From the Harvard data, he actually showed that alcoholism was more the cause of people than having depression and anxiety in their life. That was a very interesting finding. A lot of treatment centers will argue that there is a root to somebody's alcoholism. That may not actually be the case. It makes sense that people would want to find that. There's an implied message in that if there is a root and you dig up the root, you will have addressed the whole problem. But alcoholism seems to be more of a chronic disease than that, and it seems to be more complex. So we target the alcoholism and the drinking head-on with the hope and the goal that things like depression and anxiety will be better managed, provided we're able to deal with basic sobriety and recovery. The second big take-home point that I found from Valen's research was the concept of what happens to people after they sober up and go back to drinking. This is always a question of my patients. They want to know if they can have social or moderated drinking over their life after treatment. So for instance, they're drinking alcoholically for a period of time. They're suffering in their life. They come to rehab or they enter some sort of outpatient care. They sober up and they do pretty well. If they were to go back to drinking, would it follow the same road 
Or would they be able to stay sober or ideally, in their mind, moderate their drinking and be like their friends? What Valen showed was that of people who had alcoholic level drinking, who sober up and return to drinking, almost all of those people would once again return back to either alcoholic drinking or abstain on their own. So it seems to support this chronic hypothesis that if somebody has alcoholism, it stays with them no matter how much time of sobriety that they have. This doesn't seem to be a curative or a reparative disease. The other thing I take home from this was that people made their own choices, if you will, and they grew to accept their health needs. The final take-home point from Valence analysis of the Harvard data I think is the most useful when I'm working with patients. It seems to be very sensible and practical and also applicable to patients of all walks of life. Valent determined four main predictive factors of people who were able to maintain long-term recovery. These included, number one, a sense of structure in people's life, that they were able to fill the time void that used to be occupied by the alcoholic drinking. Number two, he focused on concepts of consequences or accountability. People were better able to maintain their recovery if they had to. Number three, a sense of self-worth and hope in recovery was predictive. And finally, he talked about the concept of rehabilitative relationships. And this extends back to some of the core themes of the Harvard study on adult development as a whole. Their main take-home point was that relationships were key. So these four traits, structure, accountability, self-worth, and rehabilitative relationships, seem very sensible and useful. Looking at structure on a deeper level, I really feel that the patients I work with in residential treatment look pretty good when they're at treatment. I don't think that that's really based on the content of any sort of program, whether that's lectures or group support or medications. I think the structural ingredients are very healing. These patients are going to bed at a typical time. They're waking up at the same time. They're getting three good meals. They get some exercise every day. They have a very busy day and a very routine day. Usually that helps them. There's something that's very healing about having a structured day. In terms of accountability, I would break this into a little bit deeper topics of what I would call external accountability versus internal. External accountability is where somebody has a force outside of them that's kind of mandating their sobriety. Internal accountability is where you make choices for your sobriety that are for your own purposes because it's important to you. Overall, I recommend that patients err on the side of having some external accountability principles towards the beginning of their recovery with the goal of moving towards more internal ones later on. I can blend different sources of data to drive home the components of accountability. Two of our highest success national groups 
for long-term recovery are patients in longitudinal high accountability scenarios. So number one, people in the drug court system. The drug court system is a mandated collection of patients who have legal charges and at the same time have identified alcoholism or drug addiction. They work with the court that gives them a lot of support, if you will, or hand-holding to say, we want you to stay sober and we're going to keep our eye on you. So they have to do weekly urine screens and they have to sit in front of the judge every couple weeks. These patients, when they're given the support blended with firm accountability, tend to do quite well. Another example of high accountability scenarios are impaired physicians. So these are physicians in health programs from state to state. The overall math from this is that physicians in recovery in a monitoring program have about a 78% chance of maintaining five years of sobriety. That number is massively high. We can't get that number in any other forms of treatment. What seems to be going on with these physicians? Is it because they understand the neurobiology of addiction and medications? I don't believe so. A lot of this is that they have to be sober because the medical board will be stripping away their medical license if they don't. They have a high accountability program. These physicians are required to do weekly breathalyzers, drug screens. They have to have quarterly feedback reports from a case manager. And if they don't do well, their case will get kicked to the medical board in which they risk potentially having their license suspended. This is a high accountability scenario and it seems to work for these physicians. For number three, the concept of self-worth and hope. Valent looked at concrete measures in the Harvard study for people who were able to maintain that, specifically concepts of 12-step involvement, active volunteerism or service, active therapy, or a connection with a faith community. All of those things were predictive of people feeling less ashamed and better about themselves. And then trait number four, the rehabilitative relationship. Examples of this would include a sponsor, a doctor, a therapist, uh, some sort of a mentor figure. This did not include a spouse or a family member or a parent or a child. It seems that those relationships are too intimate for somebody. They're, they're too personal that the person can't be very authentic with things like relapse or cravings to drink. The family members might be too triggered by that. So a rehabilitative relationship has more of a clinical focus. So once again, these four traits, according to valence analysis of the Harvard cohort, structure, accountability, self-worth and hope, and a long-term rehabilitative relationship. I really recommend to my patients to list those four things out and to kind of grade themselves in terms of which of these four do we need to strengthen. There's an overall concept with this which is trying to build a healthy life. 
I have a lot of patients who want to change their substance use. They want to sober up or they want to get in recovery, but they might not want to make a ton of changes to their life as a whole. Of the people who do change their substance use and at the same time change their life, they tend to find success. The Harvard data overall supports that. This is a good example of using longitudinal large-scale data to influence our decisions clinically. When I'm working with patients on this, these are not my opinions. I'm taking large-scale census data to say this is what it looks like. These are the things that tend to be helpful. Maybe we can be strategic and use this data to make a difference in your life. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Arc podcast. I'm Dr. Pat Phelan. If you're interested in learning more or working a weekly therapy program for yourself, sign up on our Recovery Arc site. You'll get 52 weeks of guided addiction content focusing on science, medications, therapy, peer support, and family recovery. Recovery Arc, blending science with strategy.